the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. 602-508-0960. Wanted to do a little bit of a uh, potpourri for you here as we come to you live from the Guns Etc. studio. Delighted to be doing so. Delighted they are on board. Thank you to all our sponsors, particularly our new sponsor, which is Midas Gold Group along with guns, etc., and uh, so many others. So if they support us, they're supporting you and our ability to communicate and discuss. I think these are great companies in the first place. We never put out a put out an endorsement to a company we don't believe in and what they do, but the idea that they believe in you and our messaging. I mean, this is kind of what's interesting around the debate with Joe Rogan, isn't it, in a sense? I'm surprised it's still going on and i see <clears throat> excuse me joni mitchell is the latest to threaten them you know if the jewish community in this country had uh, half of the um, half of the reserves half of the uh, moral reserves that uh, the left in this country um, had they would be going after abc for allowing um whoopi goldberg to say what she said today about the holocaust uh, as as they would be uh, with Joe Rogan. The only difference is between Whoopi Goldberg and Joe Rogan is that Joe Rogan will admit when he's wrong and happens more or less to be mostly on the left, mostly on the left. I mean, OK, he's with us on covid. That's pretty much it. Pretty much. I mean, this is a guy who was supporting Bernie Sanders for president but he believes in the dialogue and he believes in what the left used to believe in, which is challenging the orthodoxy, challenging the main narrative, challenging the man. Um, you know, the idea that dissent is patriotic. That's what Joe Rogan is standing for. And the minute he does it on something that matters, something that actually matters, people who think about uh, write songs about freedom and protest like Neil Young are the first to try and censor him. And the story is going on. He's now joined by Joni Mitchell. Why is it always Canadians? Why is it the, uh, that it's Canadians going? Is it because they don't have an understanding of our First Amendment principles and free speech principles in the U.S.? It's not that because too many leftists here are joining their call, their frenzy. But let me just say this. I, Joe Rogan. And what he has said about COVID turns out to be more accurate and more consistently accurate than anything the protesters against him have said about COVID or the experts they would rather listen to. Uh, take the ivermectin thing. How much, how much distortion on ivermectin was there if all you knew – about Joe Rogan and Ivermectin was taken from MSNBC and CNN, which spent a lot of time on it. If all you knew came from them, you would think that Ivermectin was designed to be an animal drug used for 
deworming or even delousing. Now, this comes to us on the very same day uh, today that Japan has announced a major study on ivermectin and its use to mitigate the harms of COVID. This comes to us with some 27 or more studies. I, I read I read a series that was summarized with 27 studies on ivermectin, including one in the American Journal of Therapeutics, the conclusion of which is, quote, moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers progressing to severe disease. The apparent safety and low cost suggests that ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic globally. I am not a, in any way trained in this field. I, I'm just not. I'm just not. But I happen to know that everything Fauci told us to do and that certain states and communities did and everything that Walensky doubled down on and that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris said and that the governor of California has said and that the governor of New York has said, their record is worse. Their record is worse on this. And why in a country of freedom or free inquiry or why in a country that is dedicated to following science and the scientific method, would you just put a black cap, would you just put a a container and send to Coventry anyone who wants to follow this direction of thought and possibility. Because doing what we have done, taking the government's numbers, has cost something akin to 900,000 lives. Doing what we have done by ignoring these things, by ignoring these things. The CDC's full name, I will say it again, is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. How well have they done on disease control, much less prevention? And when you do have studies that show promise in these things, and you do have anecdotal evidence of people who have seen that promise work for themselves, how did this become akin to saying good words about, you know, Adolf Hitler? How did it become akin to calling someone a fascist, a denier of science, and an extremist. How did that happen here? How did that happen here? Authoritarian personality disorder, perhaps? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. And I'm not for the banning, obviously, of Whoopi Goldberg. I am for her acting a little bit more like Joe Rogan, though, when she is confronted with what I am guessing she will be confronted with, which is to say, as Joe Rogan will from time to time, when necessary, I made a mistake. Here's the truth. Here's what I thought. I made a mistake. That's the difference. That's the difference. And they want that man gone. These protesters like Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, who made their bones in the protest movements of the late 60s and early 70s, challenging authority now, because their movement has the authority, want to silence it. It's much like those bumper stickers about um, coexisting, coexist. Or uh, what's the other one that's that, that's just like it? There's a coexist one. There's other one that's just like it. I can't remember. But it's it's there's some there's one thing on there on those lists on that little rundown of of items that is really one the only one that needs the message. 
the only one that needs the message. The cross doesn't need it. The star doesn't need it. The Buddhists don't need it. And yet, you know, for me to say that will be getting me called an Islamophobe, an Islamophobe. Uh, there is a scientific phobia going on. There is science phobia. There is common sense phobia. There is a Republican Party phobia. All of this, I think, has caused a lot more damage and a lot more death than anything you might want to call as racism or Islamophobia on some of our parts over here. A lot more. And there's going to at some point be a comeuppance because at some points you can't stop and you won't be able to stop the science, the investigation, and the look back. At some point you just won't be able to and there's going to be a lot of comeuppance. I saw this interesting um, uh, uh, point Hugh Hewitt, a colleague uh, of ours, made, which is when you're looking at Joe Biden's numbers, it's another issue, you're looking at Joe Biden's numbers and how he is failing miserably on everything he campaigned on and then some, and then some, um, look for changes in personnel. Look for resets. Look for a new secretary of the Department of Homeland Security coming. Maybe look for a new director of the CDC. I wish, wish, wish Donald Trump would have gotten rid of that whole class of people who were giving him bad advice. The problem was at the time, the problem was at the time in the administration, everyone was saying these are the only people that know what to do and how to do it. And it turned out as the months went on, it wasn't true that they were the only ones that knew the truth or knew the best way to handle a novel virus like coronavirus. The only problem was they were going into election year where they had set the stage that if Donald Trump had fired them, that would have been the much bigger and the much worse story. All right. That's one part. Immigration is another. Think about, I mentioned the uh, DHS uh, secretary may be changed out, possibly. Think about, think about what's going on with immigration right now. As Byron York writes, these days the Biden White House talks a lot about the border. At press briefings there are many questions about the border. But it's the Russia-Ukraine border. Meanwhile, the situation on the U.S.-Mexican border is deteriorating daily. Two developments. One, we learned more about the administration's covert effort to relocate thousands of illegal border crossers, single adult males, not families, into the nation's interior. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about, Byron York says, new information about the changing makeup of the thousands of people crossing the border illegally. But the relocation effort, there's only one network that that covered it, Fox News. It's the only network that covered it. And what is it Joe Biden says when asked about it? He was asked about it today. What did he say? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I was in the middle of talking about uh, Joe Biden when I lost track on my end, so I apologize to you uh, for that. Coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Let me just make this point about Joe Biden and immigration. Should he be talking like this a year plus into his administration? Uh, He said today his administration is committed to improving the border crisis by, quote, trying to figure out why migrants are leaving their home countries 
for the U.S. We're working with a lot of neighboring countries. A lot to do, he said with a meeting in a meeting with Kamala Harris. Quote, I think one of the fundamental things we've got to do in addition to some of the changes we'll make, which we won't get into today, is that if we figure out why they're leaving in the first place, it's not like people sit around and say in Guadalajara, I got a great idea. Let's sell everything we have, give it to a coyote, take us across the border, leave us in the desert in a country that doesn't want us. We don't speak the language. Won't that be fun? Well, that's a hell of a caricature, but it's awfully damn close to what is exactly and precisely happening. And the idea that we've got to sit down and figure out why people want to leave, he uses Guadalajara. I don't know why he said Guadalajara. But the idea that people want to leave less good places for the United States of America is what I might call a tell. A tell. Yeah, when you don't think this country is that great, when you don't believe in America first, when you don't believe in American greatness, when you don't think there's something exceptional about America, everything the Democratic Party and the people Joe Biden has surrounded himself with, including his former boss and all of his associates now, yeah, you can sit there and say, I don't know why they'd want to come to America. I do. They do. And you know what? Does the motive even really matter? Does the motive matter? Does it? You tell me. I'm sure there are 10 reasons amongst 20 different families that you might pick at random. But for a better life or for a better opportunity is one of the reasons so many of us do love this country. And I don't blame them for wanting to come here. I wouldn't blame anyone for wanting to come here. It is the best country in the history of the world. That is a sentence Joe Biden cannot utter. And until he does, he will not understand the motives of those coming here. But it doesn't even have to get to that level. I don't think you need another meeting with Kamala Harris to try and figure out root motives of why people want to get here. Just stop it. Put an end to it or reduce it. Don't exacerbate it. Don't do things in cover of night. And don't treat us like simpletons and idiots who have to keep on allowing it and taking it because you can't figure out how to stop earthquakes in Central America. You're not going to be able to stop earthquakes in Central America. And before there were earthquakes, excuse me, before earthquakes were identified as the cause for some, the motive of others, we had immigration problems then too. Perhaps it is the suffering we take as being the greatest in the world. But start by understanding that and you'll understand why they're coming here and quit trying to make us more like them. That is not the solution. The solution to America's problems is not making the rich poor. It's making the poor middle class so that they can ultimately become rich. And it's not making America like the places we used to send aid to. It's understanding that America has a particularly great role in the world. And if you don't understand it, there's a lot of people in other countries that do, which is why, yes, they sit around figuring out how they can get here. And by the way, by the way, you don't have to live in America to learn how to speak this language. And maybe, 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 maybe if you think speaking this language is important, you don't give voting rights 
to non-citizens on the basis of them not being able to speak the language, which is what Eric Adams, the new mayor of New York City, said. Well, in, in, the, in, in, in the Bronx, 43% of the people can't even speak English. Okay. Okay. Well, there are ways to deal with that. The importance of speaking English would be one, or showing them what we all have known and seen for decades, which is ballots printed in multiple languages. Either way, take your pick. But giving voting rights to non-citizens because they don't speak English, yeah, it's another good way to exacerbate the illegal immigration problem. We used to laugh about people that were so far away from the solution and the answer to our problem because they didn't understand the question. I think we're on that point right now. I don't think Joe Biden understands the question. I don't think he understands it at all. Mike is in Maricopa. Hi, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. Uh, about Brandon Weikert, when he was talking about the possibility of nuclear war, I'd like to bring to the listeners' attention a book. It's called Nuclear War Survival Skills. There's a website, oism.org. It stands for the Oregon Institute of Science and Medicine. Uh, the book was compiled by a guy that had worked at Oak Ridge for like 20 or 30 years. It's a free download. The name of the book is Nuclear War Survival Skills. Chapter 1 covers a lot of these myths that everybody, you know, it's always the fear of the unknown. It can get people whipped up and everything. Uh, bear in mind that here in the United States, we don't have any more fallout shelters or anything. They don't have any food. They don't have any water. If you show up with food, water, toilet paper, and things, it's going to be taken away from you to be distributed to the people that didn't have anything. Remember what happened in the Superdome back in Katrina down in Louisiana. I do recall... Oh, look what's the, happening with COVID, uh, with, uh, COVID tests and uh, COVID vaccines and, 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 uh, and uh, giving triage to uh, racial and economic minorities. Yeah. Yep. I remember the drills back in the 60s about hiding under the yep. desks and stuff. And we also have to remember that the Soviets, they're very into preparedness. They teach their school children how to break down AK-47s, how to maintain their protective masks, how to use Geiger counters and things like that. They have nationwide drills. And I would also, last but not least, I would recommend to the listeners to acquire enough protective masks. Everybody wants to call them gas masks, but that's a misnomer. They are protective masks. And right now, now, you should be able to get a good quality one somewhere between 10 and $20. I've seen these things before after that anthrax stuff that happened after 9-11. A simple $10 gas mask would go up to $250 on eBay. So nuclear war survival skills. It's always that the fear of the unknown. And once you understand about all this Yaba stuff about, you know, nuclear winter, which is a big fact. Yeah, listen, uh, Mike, (laughs) you're raising a lot here that it's a funny thing because I was watching a lot of discussion about, as I was saying to Brandon, I was watching a lot of discussion about these debates in the 80s that were going on, uh, particularly with that movie uh, also on ABC, I believe, that movie The Day After with Jason Robards. Let me comment on that. I I worry, you know, I, I worry about putting everyone in a panic here. 
I also worry about the efficacy of those gas masks you mentioned, Mike, because pretty soon maybe we'll be mandating those to five-year-olds once we're pretty sure that the rest of the masks are as about as effective against COVID as they have proven to be. But on a more serious note, I want to come back on that when we do come back. I'm Seth Liebson, live from the Guns Etc. studios. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Uh, caller talking about uh, bringing up the issue of uh, nuclear war and nuclear war uh, uh, potential survival and that sort of thing. It is interesting how, oh my gosh, a conversation uh, that has been really nowhere to be found over the last f- four years – except for the prognostications of those who were terrified by Donald Trump's presidency before he was inaugurated, like Paul Krugman and people like that who predicted he would take our country into war when it turned out he was probably one of the most specific presidents we've ever had. It took Biden a year to bring back a conversation. It took Biden's presidency a year to bring back the conversation of the potential of nuclear war, or if not nuclear war, nuclear battle. And one of the things I was doing over the weekend, as I was mentioning, is I was going through some of these debates that were taking place in the 1980s. Particularly, I was fascinated by uh, re-watching a debate and re-watching the movie uh, that um, ABC made a big deal of circa 1983, pretty sure it was 1983, uh, called The Day After with Jason Robards about – a nuclear bomb that goes off in the middle of America and the fallout that comes from it. There was a great Ted Koppel panel on this, some of the bright minds of the age, arguably, but some of them. Anyway, it had uh, it was a great panel. You can get it on, I don't know, YouTube or something. But it was a great panel. It was William Buckley. It was Carl Sagan. It was Elie Wiesel. It was Henry Kissinger. It was Robert McNamara. And I might be leaving – oh, it was Brent Scowcroft who was probably – you know, the least smart person there. But in any event, um, it was it was a pretty high powered panel uh, talking about uh, the effect of the movie, the purpose of the movie, the intent. But go back for a moment, a level above to Ronald Reagan, because they were saying the same things about Ronald Reagan that they said about Donald Trump. This is a madman who is going to launch us into nuclear war. President Reagan, they called him uh, Star Wars, they called the Strategic Defense Initiative. The entire Strategic Defense Initiative that Reagan and Frank Gaffney and Casper Weinberger and a few others, not a lot, but a few others were pushing in those days in the early mid-80s was because Ronald Reagan thought that the prospect of nuclear war was a wholly and completely immoral notion. You know, he wanted desperately to reduce the nuclear arsenals of both sides without engaging in unilateral disarmament because he didn't trust the Soviets. And you will remember he risked his all at Reykjavik with Gorbachev on the very issue of SDI. Gorbachev promised reductions if if Ronald Reagan would give up on the Strategic Defense Initiative. Well, Ronald Reagan wouldn't. And again, everyone said – Well, that blows the peace or the potential for peace with the Soviet Union from here to kingdom come. Ronald Reagan did a bad thing. And as we learned and Margaret Thatcher put it, 
Well, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is he won the Cold War without firing a shot. But we never got the Strategic Defense Initiative. But it had been on his mind for years before 1983. You may remember Ronald Reagan stole the show in 1976 in his impromptu talk at the Republican convention after having just lost to Gerald Ford. You may not remember what it was he was talking about. Bill, can you pull that up for us real quick? If I could just take a moment and tell... I had an assignment the other day. Someone asked me to write a letter for a time capsule that is going to be opened in Los Angeles a hundred years from now. We live in a world in which the great powers have poised and aimed at each other horrible missiles of destruction, nuclear weapons that can in a matter of minutes arrive in each other's country and destroy virtually the civilized world we live in. And suddenly it dawned on me those who would read this letter a hundred years from now will know whether those missiles were fired. They will know whether we met our challenge. Whether they have the freedoms that we have known up until now will depend on what we do here. Mr. President. If you watch the video of that, again, which you can get on various platforms, you will see that while Ronald Reagan is talking, Henry Kissinger is in the audience joking it up with someone else not listening to Ronald Reagan. Um, you know, that that's the arrogance of that kind of academic thinking, uh, that Reagan would be more important than Henry Kissinger, you know. <laughs> But uh, that was that was bothersome to him. That having been said, it was Reagan's effort not to have our kids doing those desk drills, not to have them living in panic and fear, but to have them live in a world where they didn't have to think about it because we were shielded from it. And he would share the technology. Well, the left wouldn't let him have it. They called it a fantasy and they called it Star Wars. You know what? We still don't have it. You know what? We could have it. In about five years and about 50 billion bucks. But we don't. Why? Because it was Reagan's idea. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. I mentioned I had a potpourri for you. I do. We've done immigration uh, and we've done uh, a few other issues. But the one we didn't do was crime. You know, it is interesting to me that um, <clears throat> it became pretty cute and pretty popular, kind of the wink, wink, nod, nod, secret shibboleth entry into the club of the elites and the club of the enlightened for them to make fun of Donald Trump. Heck. I saw the same exact thing I'm thinking about on Bill Maher this weekend, talking about the incompetence of a man because he caked himself in orange makeup, which obviously goes back to the orange man bad thesis, the man who looked orange. A lot of people were making fun of him for the color of his hair and the color of his skin. It's a good thing they assured us they weren't in any way prejudiced about anything or that we shouldn't elevate looks above content. But, you know, I don't mean to be rude. I just want to show you the failure, ongoing failure, again and again and again, to live by the same standards you articulate that the rest of us have to live by. 
how much discussion, how many stories, how many reports were there about Donald Trump's businesses and lack of ethics in business, even using the words like fraud and investigations. You guys getting a lot of news on that with regard to the Black Lives Matter movement? You should. I went to look to see if Patrice Coulors, the founder of Black Lives Matter, is uh, still teaching up at Prescott College. You know, she got a professorship there. And when I go to the page, it's not found. And I'm wondering if her moving to Canada kept her from fulfilling that obligation at Prescott or whether she left or maybe she's still there. I don't know. Someone in Prescott Air, the College can tell me. But it is, an, a rather, it is a rather amazing thing that when a lot of us were saying we didn't want to get on board, we were called racist. There's a company. Are you familiar with this company? Penzi's Spice Company. It's a Wisconsin-based company. It has it has stores here in the Phoenix area. I didn't know this until just today. This report out from Fox Business CEO Bill Penzi renamed the extended Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend Republicans are racist weekend in his newsletter. Did you see that, Bill? You're nodding because you're not surprised, I suppose. Yeah. Republicans are racist weekend. Here's what he wrote. Remember how Republicans going against a mountain of evidence to the contrary once again lied and said BLM wasn't a peaceful movement, but instead terrorists inciting violence through the country and then raced out to buy a you-know-what full of guns because maybe they were finally going to get their chance to shoot a black person? What a bunch of racists. I actually don't remember a single part of that or even a single example of that. If he wants to bring it forward, let it be, as the Beatles might have said. Let it be. But evidently, group libel is okay so long as you're a member of the Republican Party and not a member of the woke crowd. And evidently, it's fine to make fun of someone's unnatural hair color if you're a Republican. But, you know... What if you say nonsensical things and have an equally unnatural hair color and your name is Jen Psaki? Is, is, is that just off limits? Listen to her talking about crime today. Fox on a daily basis. I mean, do you remember the four boxes that, you had, that we had on all the TVs, right, which mm-hmm. is on my TV right now? So right now, just to give you a sense, so CNN, Pentagon, as many as 8,500 U.S. troops on heightened alert. Okay, true. Same on MSNBC. CNBC is doing their own thing about the market. And then on Fox is Janine Pirro talking about soft on crime consequences. I mean, what, what does that even mean, right? Um, so there's an what does it even mean? universe on some uh, coverage. What's scary about it is a lot of people watch that. It's scary that people watch Judge Janine Pirro, who used to be a respected judge and, and prosecutor, who actually used to be in the books of great lawyers and great judges in America because of her work on crime and feminine issues. And she's talking about crime, what soft on crime policies. What does that even mean, Jen Psaki? What does that even mean? It means the rise in homicides and other violent crime. 
It means the burning of cities, which your vice president said should not stop and helped endow people so that they could uh, uh, so that their bail could be paid if they were arrested in what you all called mostly peaceful protests, which we had no problem with. But when they turned to violence and taking over police and fire bombings of police precincts and federal court buildings, we had a huge problem with and you would say nothing about the idea that you look at CNN and MSNBC and they're covering uh, they're covering troops, Russian troops amassing on the Ukraine border while Fox is talking about crime. And you think Fox isn't addressing an important issue. Let me tell you something. Most people have learned what they know about Ukraine and Russia and what has led us to this point because of the fantastic coverage at Fox. Most people have learned about what is going on and it is part and parcel of the soft on crime problem with the illegal immigration because what has been broadcast on Fox and what CNN and MSNBC refuse to show you. Most people have learned about the crime in America because of Fox, and you seem to think that the answer to when we have at Fox coverage of these things to black it out, particularly if the coverage is done with drones or going after sea uh, Customs and Border Patrol for being on horses and banning procedures that didn't even exist but you said existed so that we could be anti-police. That's what we mean with soft on crime policies, but also soft on news policies, soft on news. If CNN and MSNBC covered any of these issues, your president wouldn't be at 40 percent approval. He'd be at 20 percent. So I get what you're trying to do here, kid. I really do. I just don't think it's working because most Americans don't have that in their daily lives. They don't live the way you do, and they can't afford the bubble you exist in. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you do get a chance to watch that Ted Koppel-hosted uh, ABC panel that I was talking about from 1983 with Bill Buckley and Carl Sagan and uh, Henry Kissinger and Bob McNamara talking about you know the threat of nuclear war, um, Bill Buckley uses a phrase I often use here. It's the only time I've ever known him to use it, but I love it. And he uses the phrase junk thought. He closes his comments talking about the junk thought that has been um, at that time that was being, uh, you know, perpetrated on the American people about the costs of us meeting the Soviet Union face to face. Isn't it interesting when you think about the debate back then, they were wringing their hands over the fact that there were 40,000 nuclear weapons poised at each other between the United States and the Soviet Union, and that 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 was an intolerable number. We have a lot fewer warheads now, a lot fewer, maybe combined somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12,000, a lot fewer. But isn't it interesting to think about the Soviet Union gone, the warheads fewer, and yet we're having the same conversations we had back in the early 80s. Is it something about human nature? Is it something not about the instrumentalities of war, but the instrumentalities of the human being and human thought and morality that needs to be talked about and thought about? 
The instrumentalities will always be invented and will always be available. So will human thought be. But it doesn't have to be junk thought. It's our task to fix that. Because that, though the Soviet Union went away, never went away. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 